Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Heidi ho <laughs> They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is my boomstick! Hey there everybody, welcome to another episode of the Horror Crypt Podcast, episode number 62. And yes, someone has finally broken the cherry of my email address. Yes, horrorcrypt2022 at gmail.com has officially lost its virginity. Now the lady's name, I'm not going to use her last name because of privacy reasons, so anytime you would ever send me an email, I will never ever say your last name on air, because as I said, it's privacy reasons that I just wouldn't do this. So this lady's name is Erin. And Erin actually sent me an email and just to say that she loves the show. She's been listening to um, the episodes and she's just starting from the very beginning and going through and, you know, basically saying how much that she enjoys horror movies. And she gave me a list of horror movies that she wanted to possibly see if I'd like to do. And this is another thing that you can do. If you want me to do a, a an episode, just send me a list of, of uh horror movies and then I can go and pick one and I can just contact you and say guess what this is the one that I'm doing and your episode is going to be featured on this week's episode of the horror crypt so now with the list that she gave me I went through the list and I'm like oh my god there is actually a movie on here that I was planning on doing anyway so I contacted her and I asked her and she said listen I've only ever seen the uh the this one and, and it's the remake unfortunately and I said no 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 there is the original, and she's like, I've never ever seen this one. So, Erin, I'm going to be doing this one. Now, the reason that she chose this one is because she said that, um, or that she told me about this one, was that she used to babysit at uh, when she was younger, and you know, the house that she used to babysit at for these these people, very nice people, I should say, as as she told me. But uh, she said the house always seemed to be wherever you went, there was always someone lurking around looking at you. Of course, as she said, there wasn't anything there. But of course, when you're babysitting at night time, you get that feeling that someone is around the corner looking at you. So I said, OK, well, this is perfect because this is one of the movies that I was going to do anyway. So this one I'm going to be doing. This is Aaron's pick, the 1979 when a stranger calls now there was a remake i think in 2004 no i'm sorry it's 2006 my bad 2006 but the original one was done in 1979 and this was by far the one that made every babysitter in all of the world shit themselves now the unfortunate thing about this movie i mean we all know for watching movies that they've always always done in three stages stage one stage two stage three for the end of the movie now i watched this one and i was absolutely flabbergasted now stage one is the first 20 minutes now they've said that this by far is the most terrifying 20 minutes that has ever been put on celluloid as far as a movie goes then stage two or act two as they say becomes sort of like a thriller cop sort of movie you know Stage three or act three, this is by far, I'm, I'm not telling a lie because I actually timed it. Act three takes 12 minutes. Now I was watching this and I'm like, okay, they, I cannot believe they're going to try and do this. They're going to pull this out in 12 minutes. By the time they got to the very, very core of act three, six minutes was all they had left. So it's almost like the director was sitting there filming away and someone came up to him and said, um, so you know, sir, that we've only got like 12 minutes of film left? And he's like, oh, holy shit. Okay, shit, we got to do something. Because it seemed so rushed at the end. I mean, it was like 
they started off at the top of Mount Everest. That's how they, they started this movie. It was absolutely the peak of terror. Then it dropped all the way down to base camp and you had to endure basically what was going on down there. Then someone decided, quick, we've got to get up the top again. So they basically rocketed straight up to the top to try and get up to the very, very peak in the last six minutes. And that was the upsetting part about it is that this movie has always been, by what people have always said, if you watch the first 20 minutes and then the last six, you've seen the movie. Because in the centre, it's basically a cop drama. And But, you know, as I said, I watched it from beginning to end. I did like the movie, but I just felt that the last 12 minutes was extremely rushed. The first 20, absolutely perfect. The centre, Act 2, was just slow, and it does... You just want to say to them, come on, get going, get moving, come on, come on. I mean, I know they had to do it to encapsulate the, the whole movie. They had to make sure that you understood what was going on, but they really just really tried to compact everything into the last... 12 minutes, and then in the last six. But look, in saying that, I love to always play the trailer. Now, I'm going to play two trailers this, this time. I'm going to be doing the... Um, on the back of... The, on the on a VHS cassette, we always used to get three trailers. So, this was the official trailer that they used for the, the for one of the trailers on a, um, on a VHS cassette. The second one I'm going to do is the TV spot that they ran all over America and all over the world. Okay, but I'm going to be doing the American the American one because at the end they're going to tell you exactly where the movie's playing. But I can understand why people who were babysitting, why, why young ladies that were babysitting, would see this trailer and go, "No, no, no, no! You're not putting on this trailer while I'm babysitting. You know, in a house by myself with the kids. No, I can understand that. So look, I'm going to do two two trailers today. I hope you're going to enjoy them. I think they're actually pretty good. So now let's listen to the two trailers. Of when a stranger calls. This audience is watching what the film critic for After Dark magazine has called the most terrifying movie I have ever seen. Leave me alone! Joe, trace the call. It's coming from inside the house. Just get out of that house. Every babysitter's nightmare becomes real when a stranger calls. You are babysitting for a family. Have you checked the children? What? Hello, could you get me the police? If he calls again, we can try to trace it. Jill, we've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Just get out of that house. Stranger Calls. Rated R. Starts Friday at a Columbia premiere theater near you. So now that you've heard the two trailers to this movie, are you shit scared? Will you be listening around for any creaks and groans in your house tonight? Will you be making sure that uh, every single door and window is locked? Yeah, I can't actually believe that they would uh, run that second TV spot um, on a time where people were babysitting because that would literally scare the crap out of anyone. So When a Stranger Crawls is a 1979 American psychological horror film written and directed by Fred Walton. It's co-written by Stephen Fick and stars Carol Kane, Colleen Dewhurst, Tony Beckley and Charles Durning. The film derives its story from the classic folk legend of The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs. Oh yeah, this is going to be a good one. So with what I was saying, it definitely is um, warranted. The film has developed a large cult following over time because of the first 20 minutes, now consistently regarded as one of the scariest openings in movie history. 
The first 12 minutes of Wes Craven's Scream, 1996, pays homage to the opening of When a Stranger Calls. So the movie was released in uh, September 1979 in the United States by Columbia Pictures. It was commercial success, as they said, grossing, grossing $20 million at the box office. It received a mixed critical reception with many praising the opening scene and performances, but criticism for its lack of scares and writing. It was followed by the 1993 made-for-cable sequel, When a Stranger Calls Back, and a remake in uh, in 2006. So that's the whole thing, is that they tried to capture lightning in a bottle again, and I'm a purist, I really don't like to watch remakes, but I I am going to go and watch the remake of this movie because I've seen a couple of the trailers of it, And it really doesn't look too bad. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I will go down the path of a remake. But anyone that listens to this podcast would know that I'm an absolute purist. I love the originals. I really don't like trying to recapture lightning in a bottle with with this terrible remake. Um, But as I said, they did make a sequel, but that really, that was a commercial, unfortunately, a commercial flop. (laughs) It's interesting. The budget was $1.5 million and it took $21.4 million at the box office. So that really goes to show you exactly um what sort of impact it had in the genre of uh, horror movies it was running time of 97 minutes and the movie opens up where we see a very low slow panning of a street and we actually get to see this person walking towards a house we don't really know what's going on at this stage they're just walking towards a house we find that this is carol kane's character jill johnson she's babysitting the children of dr mandrakis at his home when the children are asleep jill receives a telephone call from a man who asks if she had checked the children. Now, there is a little bit of a um, a time difference, okay? So when the whole thing had happened, you know, because when she first got there, the mother said, listen, they've, they've been battling a very bad cold. Um, they haven't been very well. They've been upstairs. I've managed to put them to sleep. So, you know, um, maybe if you can't, if you just please don't wake them. And she's like, yep, no worries. And of course, they say to her, listen, we're going to go to dinner. If we decide to go on to a movie, it's going to be... Uh, after midnight before we get home if we do don't decide to go to the movie we'll be home by like 10 30 so this is about 8 8 30 because she said actually no it was 8 30 she said uh, eight o'clock she said we've got a reservation at 8 30 so i was like okay it's not bad two hours pretty good but you know you can extend to four because they might go to the movies um so of course she just you know settles in she's got her her um, workbook and she's she's basically calls a friend of hers and says listen you know have you spoken to um bobby and the person on the other end says you know well you know i haven't spoken to him but you know i'd really like to go out with him i really like him too and uh, of course this is when um jill says listen could you give him the telephone number to this you know the, to this house don't tell him it was from me but just can you please do it and the other person on the other line she goes oh okay all right she does it but you know you can almost see that there's going to be a competition between for the for the affections of this guy so you know the, the, the movie just sort of like you know dissolves right there because you know the other person hangs up the phone and then about you know maybe five minutes later the phone rings and she picks up the phone she says hello and of course there's absolutely nobody on the line the person hangs up so we go through this whole thing again and now about another five ten minutes goes by the phone rings uh, rings and she picks up again hello and you hear the very first have you checked the children and this is when she's jill's like what and of course the the phone hangs up this whole thing keeps going on another ten minutes goes by the phone rings again she picks it up and it's like you know have you checked the children and she's like bobby i really don't think this is funny you know, so just quit it. 
Of course, the person hangs up the phone. This is when Jill gets the whole idea of like, here's an idea. I'm going to call the police and find just find out what I can do about this. So she rings the police and says, you know, I've been getting some phone calls every 10, 15 minutes or so. This person rings up and the officer's like, well, so what do, do they say anything? And she goes, well, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And he goes, well, that's really not much we could do about it right now. We can basically just, uh, you know, just, you know, just. There's a lot of people around the place that are mucking around. This could just be a prankster, so just don't worry about it. So she's like, oh, okay, fair enough. So she hangs up the phone. Of course, the phone rings again. And she picks up the phone. Hello. And this person goes, why haven't you checked the children? And then she's like, what? What are you talking about? And of course, the phone hangs up again. So she rings the police back and she goes, listen, the person, I just rang you. The person just has just rung me. And has said this, and he's like, okay, what we can do is we can start monitoring the telephone line. But in the meantime, have you tried whistling? And she's like, what? Now, this was an actual trick that a lot of people had actually um, done. Even my mother and father had told me to do this, which was get a, um, like a whistle. And similar to an umpire's whistle. And basically, you keep it by the phone. And what would happen is, if you got a prank caller, if they rang back a second time, you could blow this whistle down the end of the telephone line and basically blow their eardrums out. Now, God help if your grandmother or your grandfather rings up in between this, you blow their eardrums out. But this was a security situation where you could actually have this whistle, blow it down the end of the line, and, you know, really hurt their eardrums so he says you know get a get a whistle and you know if this person rings again you know blow the whistle down the down the end of the telephone line and uh so she's like oh okay and he goes in the meantime we'll, we'll watch a line so she hangs up the phone she suddenly hears um, a noise coming from basically she's in the living room so she's hearing a noise coming from the kitchen and uh, so she goes to investigate like anyone else does and we find that there's an ice maker that's actually dropping ice cubes into the bucket so in the refrigerator so she's like oh okay okay <sighs> take a big deep breath we're we're fine now so she grabs a popsicle and she goes back into the living room as she's getting closer to the living room the phone rings again so she picks up the phone she says hello and he goes why haven't you checked the children and uh she basically just hangs up the phone immediately. And uh, so she just sits there and she rings the police again. He goes, okay, well, that wasn't long enough. But what we need you to do is just try and keep him on the line for about a minute so we can trace the call. So she's like, okay, that's fine. So then she's just sitting there. The phone rings again. She picks up the phone and she says, and of course this person, she says, hello. And uh, he goes, it's me. And she says, I know, you know, you really scared me. And she said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be here for very much longer. Dr. Mondrakis is going to take me home, you know, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, you don't know where I live. You don't know who I am, but I'm going to be leaving here soon. And she said, you know, you really scared me. You know, is that what you wanted to do? And uh, well, first she says, you know, can you see me? And he goes, yes, I can. And she says, well, you know, you really scared me. You know, what was it that, you know, you, what you were trying to do, you've, you've done it. You've succeeded. You've got me terrified, you know, and she says, you know, so was that what you wanted to do? You just wanted to scare me. And of course, the movie crescendo, the uh, the music behind the the movie crescendos to a peak of the stage because you can hear something's building up. And she says, in the meantime, you know, um, if you wanted to scare me, you've done it. Is that what you wanted to do? The mu the music crescendos, and he goes, no. And she goes, what what did you want to do? And he goes, I want your blood all over me of course this is when <laughs> she hangs up the phone immediately of course at that moment you know the the camera zooms in on the on the telephone she picks up and it rings she picks up the phone she goes you know hello and uh he goes this is uh sergeant i think it was sergeant taggart from the police we've traced the call it's coming from inside the house 
Jill get out of the house. So this is when the mu- the music really builds up to the to the old holy 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 fucking shit. So she uh, before the, this was all happening, she'd locked the door with a chain. So she walks towards the door and she's looking up towards the stairs. And as she gets towards the door, you can see the door opening up and the the light coming out. And you can see this person that's suddenly going to be coming down the stairs. She's trying to pull the door open, and this is you know how bad it is. She's pulling the door open, and you can see that someone's going to walk down the stairs. She unlocks it just at that moment moment um uh, of, there's a police officer standing in front she screams to blue murder and we find out that um obviously he's a police officer so this is when the movie had just like crescendoed into this 20 minutes of like holy shit we find out that the, the children had been dead for about seven hours now this is where the um whole situation doesn't make a lot of sense because if you think to yourself okay this was done around about I don't know, maybe 9.30, maybe 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, I don't know. Um, count seven hours back. That means they would have had to have been killed around about one o'clock in the afternoon. Nope, my maths was wrong. So it was about three o'clock that, uh, that he killed the children. So it says basically that um, this English merchant seaman named Kurt Duncan had killed the children shortly after Jill arrived. So that would mean that mum and dad put the children into bed around about three o'clock in the afternoon because they were battling this cold. He came in. Now, as the police officer said, they'd been dead for about seven hours. That would be a three o'clock kill. And mum and dad had not checked on them ever since. So the timeline is rather skewed because it basically says that he, he killed the children shortly after Jill arrived. So anyway... Jill is certainly not harmed because the police officers arrive and after his trial he's sent to a psychiatric facility. Now when the police officers arrived at the house they went upstairs and they found that he was sitting on the bed with the children that were dead obviously covered in their blood. So then we basically fast forward to seven years later. Duncan escapes from a uh, psychiatric facility that he was being held on and Dr. Madrakis hires John Clifford. Now John Clifford was the officer first arriving at the scene and uh, finds out that this whole thing was going on, who investigated the earlier murders, but is now a private detective to find Duncan. So basically, Dr. Mandrakis is basically like, you know, I know that he's escaped. What could you do? You know, how, how long would it take you to actually find this person? And he's like, you know, I might not find him today or tomorrow or next week or next month, but I will find him. I'll definitely hunt him down and I'll find him. So now this is where the movie sort of like goes from, as I said, this crescendo of where the the huge pinnacle of, oh my God, that was an amazing opening. Now you've got to endure the police drama that's going to be going on because basically it's basically now comes down to um, John Clifford, the officer, basically tracking to find where Duncan is. So it's basically the investigation situation that's going to be going on. Not knowing Clifford is now after him, the homeless Duncan is beaten after harassing a woman, Tracy, in a downtown bar. Well, he's sort of like he's he's sitting there just having a drink and he's he's trying to, you know, because as, as uh, you know, John Clifford said, you know, he's an English merchant. Uh, he's not a resident. He's not a, you know, he's not a citizen. He's just, you know, arrived about a week you know, before the murders had actually taken place. So really, he's got nowhere to go. So he's got no job. He's got you know no residence. So hey, guess what? He's going to be pretty easy to find. It's just a matter of me trying to find him. So he goes to a bar and he's just sitting there, just talking to. The, we're trying to strike this conversation with this woman, and basically is very much you know you know I really like you and stuff like that, and you know can I buy you a drink? And she's really not interested. She's like you know just leave me the hell alone. I'm just sitting here minding my own business, having a having a quiet drink, but just leave me alone. And he is just persistent and persistent. So. Eventually, one of the guys who's playing pool happens to see, you know, his just v- really bad attempts at trying to, you know, c- 
coerce this woman into God only knows what I'm thinking take me home for the night basically now whether it's pay, take me home for the night for some fun or take me home for the night for you know somewhere to sleep I don't know but anyway he is trying his hardest this person doesn't have any you know any of it and basically beats him within an inch of his life and the poor guy is just you know I mean you can almost see that he was you know he's really not not all there but he was just maybe he was just one of those really lonely guys that just wants to talk you know and wants to strike up a conversation but he's really in it such a bad you know situation with this this woman he she doesn't want anything to do with him so you know so duncan follows tracy to her apartment and she takes pity on him no she doesn't this is where i find it very interesting of how the movie basically goes you know she she follows he follows her home and he you know, he's standing at the front door and, you know, because she'd gone into her, her um, apartment and shut the door. There was a knock on the door and there he is. And, of course, you know, she gets a telephone call while she's talking to him and uh, he basically just allows himself in. He walks in and sits down in her living room and she's like, you know, you're not supposed to be in here. I don't want you here, but look, I'm so sorry for what happened. I'm sorry that you got beaten up. But uh, if you don't mind, I'd like you to, to leave. And he's like, you know, I've got, how about just a coffee? And she's like, oh, I don't think so. And he goes, well, what about a drink? And she's like, well, maybe you can buy me a drink one day, but not right now. You are just not welcome to come along. So she manages to get him out of, out of, the, uh, out of the apartment where she locks the door behind him. And she's just standing, you know, at her door. And of course, then you see, as he'd been walked, as he walked away, and you know, she shut the door, and, and she's put the chain across the door, that the knob of the door starts to be jiggled again. So it's almost like he's trying to get his way back in. And it's like, wow, you know, that's just really, really creepy. But anyway, she's hoping that that's the last time that she's going to be seeing this this guy. So meanwhile, an increasingly obsessed Clifford confides to his friend Lieutenant Garber his intention to not have Duncan recommitted. But he's going to kill him. And he's like, okay, well, if you want to do that, we have to make it clean and we have to make sure that you cannot be traced. And it's like, wow, you know, there, you know, you're no longer a police officer, but now you're a private detective, but you've still got, you know, conv you know, people in the force that you can talk to. And you're basically coming out and saying that I'm not going to recommit him, I'm going to kill him. And it's really interesting that Garber, who was also present at the Madrakis crime scene, agrees to collaborate. So he's like, okay, yep, I, I thoroughly agree with that. You know, two thumbs up, no problems, <laughs> you can kill him. But just make sure that they can't trace it back. I was like, wow, I wonder how many times this could happen. I don't want to know because I've got police officer friends I don't want to know. Um, but, you know, it would be very interesting to find out if you were able to get away with that sort of thing. I don't think in uh, 2022 you could get away with that right now. So Clifford tracks Duncan to Tracy's residence. He tells Tracy, and this was a very, very interesting part of the movie, because, you know, you think to yourself, okay, well, when he was in the Madraka's house, he basically killed the children, you know, and you, you don't want to give the whole idea of, like, how did he kill them, whether it was a gun or a knife or strangulation or whatever. You know, your, your mind can go to different areas. However, when Duncan tells Tracy about it, he said that, that uh, sorry, when Clifford tells Tracy about how Duncan actually killed them, he said he literally tore the Mandrakas children apart with his bare hands. And it's like, wow, oh my God, that is just, that is terrifying. I mean, that is just absolutely horrendously terrifying that someone with that amount of strength could do that. I mean, yeah, I, I just don't even want to think about that. So, you know, unfortunately, this is where he's continuously telling Tracy, listen, I need you to try and coerce him into coming back here so I can get a hold of him and that I can arrest him you know she, he's not going to go and tell Tracy that oh by the way I'm gonna I'm gonna basically kill him it's just like you know I need you so basically he convinces Tracy to become bait 
So she goes to the bar that evening in an effort to draw Duncan out. Duncan never appears. And when she gets back to the apartment, Clifford basically says, you know, no luck. And she's like, nope, not tonight. And he goes, okay, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to stake myself downstairs, you know, and basically wander around the place. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can draw him out maybe tomorrow night. After Clifford leaves, however, Duncan comes out from hiding from inside Tracy's closet. And you do see that because, you know, he was, you can see the door open a little bit. And there he is standing, you know, basically in, in the closet. And it's like, oh, Jesus, he's fucking in, the, in her apartment. You know, she locks the door, but this time she doesn't pull the chain across. So it's like, okay, that's an easier way for someone to get in, thank God. Of course, as she goes to walk around, you know, into her, her, into her living room, this is when um, Duncan comes out and put his hands over her mouth and says, you know, I really like you. Don't scream. You know, I just want to be here. I just want to be friends. I just want to, you know, and she's like agreeing like, you know, okay, all right, all right. And that's, I guess that's the number one rule. Just be compliant with the person that's trying to do something bad to you because maybe there might be a way that you'll actually succeed in getting out of this alive. However, when he takes his hand away from her mouth, Tracy screams for help and Clifford returns, chasing Duncan from the scene but losing his trail in the streets of downtown LA. So the way that she screams I mean, he must have been maybe two floors underneath her apartment because he runs through and he manages to like jimmy her um, apartment door open. And you can see that he's, you know, Duncan's just taken off and he's just you know, running away. There's no way. I mean, you know, poor, poor old Clifford is not in the best of um, physical shape. He's got the old pot belly in front of him. So he's not going to be running at all. Whereas Duncan is very svelte and he can run, you know, quite well. So unfortunately, you know, this whole thing is like, okay, well, we're going kind of got to go through this. Now we basically transition. Now remember, this whole thing has been going on for the best part of the middle of the movie, where we're just basically chasing him and chasing him and chasing him. It gets to a point where, um, basically, what happens is Clifford decides, well, there's only one other place that he could really go. He could go to a men's shelter to sleep. So he manages to go to the only men's shelter that he can, I guess can be around the area and goes in and starts with a flashlight starts looking at you know people sleeping in their beds uh as this whole thing is going on we've got duncan sort of like wakes up and looks over and sees that this guy is you know checking <laughs> checking people and sort of like slips out of bed and you know runs away of course this alerts clifford that there's someone who's just run out of the room and he goes chasing after him he basically corners him in a hallway and the way that that uh, clifford has decided to kill him is not with a gun i guess that's a good way of doing it he's got a um i would say it was almost like um like a long needle it's almost like one of those acupuncture needles that he's got but it's actually a lot longer so basically it's one of two things you've got to do you've either got to get really close to him to use it or you've got to hold him down to use it but as we're going with this movie you know he's walking along and he's saying listen i'm not here to hurt you i'm just here to help you i know that you've you know you've got some problems and you know basically he's trying to use his police techniques to talk him down of course this is when you know duncan pops out from the side of where he was hiding and he gets um you know the the flashlight directly in his in his eyes and of course this is when clifford's like gonna calm down i'm not here to hurt you and you can see that he's moving the needle around as if he's going to and what does he do he throws it. That makes no fucking sense, but he throws it. He misses by a mile. I mean, you know, Duncan's standing there and it bloody sails past him and hits a wall behind him. It's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So then we now have the chase ensuing through the um, through the area that he was sleeping. And obviously it was a men's hostel. So he's running through the hallways. And, he's, and of course, you know, Duncan's trying to throw things you know, in uh, Clifford's way to make sure that he doesn't get a hold of him. Of course, what happens? He breaks out of the, out of the room, out of the... Um, 
the building and goes running away and it's like oh for the love of god we got that close again so now we transition to jill and jill is now married with two young children one night she and her husband stephen go to dinner to celebrate his promotion while their children are babysat by sharon can we see where this is going yes i think we can so let's stick with it because it's uh now okay if anybody doesn't want to know the ending of this movie uh, there are spoilers, so please stop the podcast, go watch this movie. This movie is now currently available on YouTube. I don't know for how much longer, but it is available on YouTube. It's the entire movie, and you can sit there and time it from the last 12 minutes to the last 6 minutes of how they pulled this one off, but you can see it for free. It's not dubbed, it's not subtitled, it's movie from beginning to end. So if you really want to watch this movie, if it's intriguing you enough to go and watch this, please stop the podcast now, but you have to come back and listen to the end of this. Yes, please do. Um, but there is a spoiler at the end, so we'll, you know, just be aware of that. So he, they go to celebrate their, you know, her husband's promotion, and they're saying, you know, she's saying, well, you know, how much money are you going to get? Now, we really have to go back a little bit further. Let's go back to when Jill is now leaving to go to the to go to dinner and she's like saying to Sharon okay we're going to go to dinner now you know how to call the police you know the emergency numbers you know this is the the telephone number is on for you know the, for her um for the restaurant uh the children are in bed if you happen to go upstairs and talk to them you're probably going to have to end up by reading my son a bedtime story but you know just leave them you know sleep if you can and she's like yep yeah, no problems and she said you know we'll be back very very soon and, he, and she's like okay so then we transition to the fact that they're in the restaurant and they're talking about this big promotion that her husband steven's got and she's like you know so you know do we get extra money and he's like and he whispers and she's like you're kidding that amount of money and a company car and he's like oh a company car too i'm gonna be the the most successful i think it's some sort of like area rep that she that he's you know gonna be so it's like you know he's really going up in the world the uh, she's also a very well-known um, writer, so she's actually had a, a little bit of a blurb posted in a newspaper. So put two and two together on that one, and we'll see how we go. Now I really don't want to have to keep reversing and reversing and reversing, but we have to go back just a small little bit, if that's okay, because one of the scenes that Duncan um, has when Clifford basically runs out of trying to find where the hell he is, he's basically in a, um, I'd say, like a wooden crate, and he's basically talking to himself, and Duncan's like, no one can hurt me, no one can see me, no one can find me, I can't be hurt, no one can, and he was basically saying this over and over again, so he's almost like hypnotizing himself that he cannot be hurt, he can't be found, you know, no one can see me, I'm invincible sort of situation. So anyway, while at the restaurant, Jill gets a phone call now, of course, the, the, the waiter comes over, and says, uh, you know, uh, Miss, and I don't know what her name is uh, in this. But anyway, she sa he says, um, you've got a phone call. And she's like, okay, no worries. Can we see where this is going? Yes, we can. So she goes over and she picks up the phone. She says, hello, this is such and such. Jill Johnson. Sorry, that's her name in the in the movie. Jill Johnson. So she picks up and she goes, you know, hello, this is you know Mrs. Johnson. And over the, vo over the telephone... Duncan's voice asks again, have you checked the children? And, of course, hangs up the phone. This is when Jill absolutely screams out of the top of her lungs. And, of course, as her husband comes running over and she's like, you know, he's got my babies, he's back, he's back, he's got my children. So she rings, uh, he rings the uh, the home and basically gets a hold of Jill, uh, gets a hold of Sharon and says to Sharon, you know, is everything okay? You know, and he, she's like, yeah, why wouldn't there be? And, of course, Jill picks up the phone and she says, you know, when was the last time you checked the children? And she said, why? And she said, please tell me, when was the last time you checked the children? She said, 45 minutes ago. They're fine. They were asleep. 
So Jill sort of like you know, starts to break down again. And of course, this is when Stephen grabs a hold of the phone and says, listen, Sharon, I just want you to, you know, un if you are unable to say anything, just say yes or no. You know, are you safe? And of course, this is when, unfortunately, the phone goes dead. So it's like, oh, shit. So in the meantime, while she, you know, Jill's falling apart, the police arrive and the police escort Jill back to her house to discover that everything's fine. You know, Sharon's standing there going, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Jill runs upstairs with the police and goes into the children's bedrooms. The children are fine. They're just laying, you know, laying on, you know, in bed asleep. And everything's okay. So it's like, okay, so we're, we're fine now. All right, we're okay. So upon hearing about the incident, Garber alerts Clifford. Clifford tries to call Jill but finds the line is dead in an eerie parallel to Jill's original stalking. Of course, you know, Clifford keeps ringing back and it's just it's just not going through. The phone call is not going through. So he ends up by calling the operator and says, you know, what's going on with this line? And she said, that one, I think, has been disconnected. And he's, he's like, what do you mean disconnected? And she said, well, you know, it may be an early disconnection. And she and he's like, well, so why wouldn't I get the message to say this phone has been disconnected? And she's like, well, maybe it's because of that situation that has been early uh, an early disconnection. So she's like, uh, he's like, uh, OK. She said, can you go and you know maybe try it again tomorrow morning? And he's like, yep, that's fine. But of course, this is when Garber alerts you know, Clifford and says something is going on. We think this think this is going to happen. So this is when you know Clifford decides, fuck it, I'm going over there to Jill's house to find out what's going on. So later that night, you know, Jill gets into bed with her husband, and you know, and of course, her husband's like, you know, he pulls out a shotgun out of the closet and says, listen, I'm a very light sleeper everything's okay and I'm a really good shot with a shotgun so everything will be fine so she goes downstairs to get a, a glass of water and she's checking around the house and she's like okay well everything seems okay she goes back up into the bedroom and uh, goes over into the children's room checks that yep children are okay so she goes into her bedroom now uh, for some unknown reason Americans have this habit in movies of not turning on the light now when she goes down into the kitchen she turns on the light and of course the light suddenly goes off and it's like, oh, so, but she turns on the light, which is over the stove, and that works. So it's like, okay, this is selective. But she doesn't think anything of it. She goes upstairs, gets into bed, and she's just laying there. And, of course, she hears Duncan's voice as the closet door appears to open. Now, he suddenly says, you know, I had to come back. I had no choice. You can, I can see you, but you can't see me. And this is when Jill is basically shaking, you know, her husband, you know, uh, honey, <laughs> honey, please, please. She tries to wake her husband only to realize that the man lying next to her is Duncan, the intruder. He chases Jill around the room and attempts to kill her. And as he's going to strangle her, and he's, he's basically got a very good grip and he's strangling her, you hear two to three gunshots and Clifford arrives in time to shoot Duncan in the chest, killing him. Jill's husband, Stephen, is in the closet unconscious but alive. Their children are safe. The movie suddenly goes to an outside view of the house with the eyes of uh, Duncan. The movie goes black, and that is the end of the movie. That's how quick, from beginning to end, that 12 minutes goes to 6 minutes, goes to the end, that's it, we're done. You know, there is no credits, really, basically. It's basically, that is it, and the movie ends. You know, we get a, a, a small little bit of Jill hugging Clifford, you know, because that's her, you know, the person that she dealt with when the first intruder, the first situation happened, and now she's, you know, hugging her, uh, her, you know, rescuer to say thank you, but that's how quickly the movie ends. And as I said, I was sitting there with the last 12 minutes going, are they seriously going to try to pull this off? From the restaurant to the end is 12 minutes. From her getting home to the final shot and the end of the movie is six minutes. 
that's how quickly it happened. So really, it's all the padding in between of him tracking down Duncan, trying to find out where he is, trying to get leads of where he might be, going into the men's hostel, trying to track him, him down You know, at uh, Tracy's apartment. It's basically all that padding in between, along with the fact that he's also talking to his other his sergeant, saying, listen, this is what I'm going to do. And he's like, yep, no worries, two thumbs up. You go and kill him, we'll just make it look like an accident. So it really is very, very quick. And this is why... Why, unfortunately, a lot of people say, watch the first 20 minutes, watch the last 12 or the last six, you're done. You don't need to watch anything in between because everything in between is a cop drama and an investigation. So really, it's 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 all of those things. But look, you know, as far as movies go, it's not as bad as what, and I'm hoping I'm not trying to make it out to be a terrifyingly bad movie where you sit there and go, oh my God, I would not watch that. It has got genuine scares. Granted, there are not as many jump scares as you get in a movie nowadays, but there is, back in 1979, this was enough to have, you know, every babysitter piss their pants when they actually saw the trailer of this on the TV to watching the trailer on a movie to actually going to see the movie. So it really did actually make a lot of people shit scared. But, you know, it's not a bad movie. It's just all the padding in between you've just got to get through. But look, in saying that, between zero to five buckets of blood, zero being how the hell do I get the, the last 97 minutes of my life back, to five, it was a perfect movie and I'd watch it all over again. I Unfortunately, I can't give it a five because it's not perfect. I will give it a solid, oh boy, I'll give it a solid three. I'm only giving it a three because maybe of the first 20 minutes and the last six. But outside of that, I can't give it a five because there's all the padding in between that you've really got to get through. But as I said, three's not too bad. Before we get um, finishing this podcast, we have to do Paul's Fun Facts. So as usual, there is quite a number of uh, little trivia items in this movie, and I'm not going to read all of them, but I think a lot of them is are very, very interesting. This one particularly, throughout the opening segment, director Fred Walton in- gradually increased the feeling of suspense by making each subsequent phone call ring a touch louder than the previous one. They escalate from eerie to jarring and finally infuriating so that really is very interesting because as i said when they do the crescendo of music behind it you know when she says you know you really scared me uh is that what you wanted to do you know you know what did you want to do and, and it's sort of like crescendos and he goes you know i want to have your blood all over me that's when it really the ma- the music really makes it very very oh my jesus christ it's going to happen you know so that really gives that whole thing so i think the fact that each phone call and you don't actually hear it you know you so concentrate on every time that phone rings it's like oh for fuck's sakes it's happening again but you don't actually see that it's actually getting louder and louder but he's obviously escalating it that's a really great bit of movie making i'm very impressed with that one in an interview for the film carol kane which plays jill stated that while watching the film in the theater when it first opened that people were screaming and talking to the screen during the iconic opening 20 minutes <laughs> yeah i mean it really it really would actually get, and as i said it really does give you that because it's it's like you know um because at one stage she does go upstairs 
And as she gets up to almost the top of the stairs, the phone rings again, and she stops. You can see her grab a hold of the um, the banister, and she walks back downstairs. So it's almost like, you idiot. You know, you rang her again. She was almost at the top of the stairs to come in and see the children and probably get killed. So you stopped her from coming in to get killed. So, you know, you really do see that. So I think that was a very, very interesting point. The original teaser trailer gave away the shock twist ending, as well as all the other plot points in the movie. I didn't really see that because it doesn't actually show the twist ending at all because the original teaser trailer doesn't show really anything except these persistent phone calls. You can go on to YouTube and type in and that and you, you can actually see When a Stranger Calls 1979 trailer and you can actually see what they were actually doing and it did, as far as I'm concerned, I didn't see it. It didn't give anything away at all. So it was also interesting that star Tony Beckley, that was the one that actually played Duncan, was terminally ill throughout the production. Because of this, he did not fit the description of the killer, but Fred Walton refused to recast him as they were good friends. He later passed away just after the principal photography was shot. Director Fred Walton dedicated the film's 1993 sequel, When a Stranger Calls Back, to the memory of Beckley, which was, which I think is really, really nice. But unfortunately, the the sequel was not a commercial hit. It was a commercial flop. Um, I guess maybe if they had have been able to bring him back for some some way, like Jason, you know, you killed Jason a hundred times, or Michael a hundred times, he keeps coming back. But uh, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. But you know, that's a really nice little bit of uh, dedication to a star that. Uh, that actually really made this movie um, a lot more creepier than it probably should have been. So just a couple more fun facts before we finish up tonight with this wonderful podcast. So the opening 20 minutes of the film are number 28 on Bravo Channel's 100 Scariest Movie Moments as they are repeatedly called one of the scariest openings in horror film history. That is pretty good. Um... Uh, yeah, it is a very good surmise that I certainly do agree with. This film is based on the infamous babysitter and the man upstairs urban legend, which has been an element in several horror films, but is most closely associated with this film. See, I mean, there are so many urban legends, you know, we we have heard over the time of, you know, the, the urban legend of checking your back seat because there's a killer in the back seat of your car. You know, I don't know how many people have done that. I have certainly, on the odd occasion, checked my back seat, knowing knowing that there's nobody in the back seat at all. But you know what? The urban legend sometimes gets you. And just one final one before we finish up. So this film was made before the PG-13 rating existed. And as, <clears throat> and as a result, it was originally rated PG. Oh my God, right, okay, well, we're going to go with this. But when it was screened for the head of ratings board, the MPAA insisted it should be rated R because its intensity was too frightening for children to view without an accompanied adult. <laughs> okay. And see, that's interesting. You know, R-rated movies here in, in Australia, you have to be 18 to go and see them. It doesn't matter if you're 13 and you go with an adult, you have to be 18. You can't go into an R-rated movie with an adult at all. You have to be 18. So that's interesting that, you know, in the States, it's rated R, but you can go in with a parent. That's really weird. When it was screened a second time for the entire committee, followed by a lengthy discussion, it was eventually assigned an R rating, despite its lack of graphic violence. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you get to see a couple of little snippets here and there of uh, when Duncan's, you know, getting basically having um, those flashbacks of what he did to, to the children. But you basically just see him covered in blood. But it's really not, you know, it's not shocking enough that you see the, the children being killed. So there's really not a whole lot of graphic violence. But there we go. R rating, I think it was actually pretty good. An R rating is, is a very good idea because I don't really think that children should be watching this movie anyway. Anyway, thank you very much for 
coming to listen to this episode of the Horror Crypt Podcast. Thank you again to our listener Erin for sending me a list of movies to do and thank you for this one being one of them. Although the one that you sent me was actually the remake. But that's okay Erin because you can always go and watch the 1979 version. If you would like to get a your very own um, podcast episode like Erin has, please send me a direct message at horrorcrypt.com. 2022 at gmail.com or you can find me on instagram at facebook at horrorcrypt oz so you can request a, a movie give me a say a list of five and i'll pick one out of the five and i'll give you a bit of a shout out and that can be your episode for uh, the horror crypt just as erin has got hers which is when a stranger calls so in saying that thank you very much once again for taking the time to download and listen to this episode and i'll say as i always do i'll creep you later Hello? Why haven't you checked the children? Mm-hmm.